We are so excited that this latest message from Truth Movement Church can meet you where you are today. This message from TMC will help you to apply the truth of God's word to your everyday life. It's practical and powerful. Enjoy his word. So for, for me, it is always a blessing to be able to talk and teach with my girlfriend. Um, because she does such a good job, man. And I'm going to have to tell y'all like, why we struggle sometimes to talk together. Because she could be up here talking, right? I mean, we're together. And she says something, and it gives me something, and then I want to talk. And then I start talking based upon what she says. And we could talk for about an hour and a half, two hours. So we had to limit ourselves in our preparation this week um, because we wanted to make sure um, that we gave you some very specific nuggets. We've been in this, this conversation for the past, I believe, four weeks. Um, I think it's been a blessing to the house thus far. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, we're going to close it out next week. Let, next week will be our last week because we're going to push into our Home for the Holiday series starting in December. Um, but I want to make sure um, that we, we divvy up two things today, really two or, two or three points today. We'll get into, um, depending on how long she talks, we'll determine what we can get to. Um, but. I want to make sure that we dive into some very specific things on today. We're going to be dealing with the same text that we dealt with last week, Mark chapter 5, verse 1, the NIV version. If you don't mind, let's turn there. <clears throat> Mark chapter 5, verse 1. I'll give you two seconds to get there. We promise not to give you a bunch of notes today. We've got a few things we want to share and then we're going to push. Is that all right? Okay, Mark 5, and we'll start at 1. They went across the lake of the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from the distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the region. A large herd of pigs was feeding in the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed deep rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the sheep ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. When the people began to, then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. And Jesus was getting, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. 
Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the people in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Shout amen. Amen. Um, a, a few weeks ago, um, me and the girls, the that's girl. the stage of life I'm in, y'all, me and the girls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They dominate me, man. It's like everything's on TV is a rom-com now, right? It's like there is no, like, adventure anymore. But um, all of my days are essentially spent with them, <clears throat> which is a beautiful thing. And um, a few weeks ago, we were riding in the car um, going through a pocket of our city where prostitution, drug addiction, and homelessness is, is very prominent. And um, as we sat at the light, and we watched um, these young women make advancements at cars as they went by, <clears throat> the question came up is, how was that even possible? Um, was there no one in this person's life, specifically this, this young girl's life, who loved them enough to not allow this to take place? Was there not um, a counselor? Was there not a coach? Was there not an auntie? Was there not a good church um, that could help prevent this person or this woman specifically to, to, to stop her from being dominated and being driven by something that is making her do things that she doesn't necessarily want to do. As we continue to talk, we found out that um, it's a lot easier than you think. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> because I think for any of us sitting in here, given the right set of circumstances at the wrong time, mm -hmm. you can find yourself being driven to do things that you never thought you would do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's unfathomable, we would say. We say this is something that could never happen to me. But, but if it's the perfect storm at the perfect time, you yeah. can find yourself making decisions based upon the circumstances that you sit in, mm -hmm. um, pushing you and driving you to do things that you said, man, I would never do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When we look at this man's narrative, it almost feels like Mark, who is the author of, of this, this book, um, is using a bit of hyperbole to basically just convey a message. It, it almost sounds as if this man's condition is unreal. This, this just doesn't happen. I mean, this is impossible for someone to be dominated in such a way, but I can tell you that it is more common than you think. <clears throat> the text says that the man um, lived in the tombs in solitude, and he would cry out at night, and he would cut himself. And you physically may have never been to a graveyard, nor will you walk in the graveyard by yourself, but you do dwell in the mental graveyard of all of your lost dreams and hopes that mm. you've buried. All of the broken relationships and mm. all of the disappointments, you tend to dwell in those dead places My in God. your mind um, simply because you won't do it physically. Mm. Physically, it's out of the question, but in my mind, I visit graveyards all the time. It said that the man was a cutter, and physically, you may, you may not cut, but mentally, you are a cutter. My God. You can't stop yourself from having self-mutilating thoughts and thoughts that destroy your character and who you are and thoughts that make you stand against the, the image that God created you and you can't stop yourself from having thoughts that just tear yourself down. Why? Because some of us sometimes are driven by things that we've gotten ourselves into. Mm. 
So when we look at this man, yeah, physically we wouldn't do the things that this man has done, but mentally we do. And I think a few weeks ago we talked about the enemy really doesn't care about your body. He understands that you're in a body, but he knows where your body is going. And most of the trouble that men deal with is in their soulish man, in their mind, in their heart, in their thoughts, and what they feel. So, yeah, you may never find yourself in a graveyard, but you stay in one in your mind. My God. I want us to understand how powerful the, 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 the demonic forces that we stand against can be. And I don't think that we give it enough credit at times because we've seen this played out on a, on a, on a, on a screen somewhere on our TV and it looks so unreal. But what I'm here to tell you today, you can find yourself being driven to do things every single day that you do not want to do. I do not want to feel like this no more, but every single day I feel this come upon me. Mm. I don't grab at it. I don't reach for it, but I feel it on me. Mm. This man was being driven to do these things. And you can be driven to think a certain way. You can be driven to, to feel a certain way. Not by anybody else. I'm talking about the enemy that's inside of you. The enemy will have you to think that this situation that we're dealing with today or this narrative that we're diving in today is unreal. Wanzel, I just heard all of that read and you cannot be talking to me. This does not happen. I'm telling you. There's many of us sitting here in here today that have to fight ourselves out of a graveyard every morning. My God. Just to, just to, just to get your makeup on in the morning. You got to fight your way to it. God. Just to pull your pants up and go to work and, 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 and just to get in your car and do what you do every single day. There's a fight going on. My God. Very similar to what this man deals with every single day. There's so much that was said in the text that we want to make sure that we don't miss. I told you guys I have to go all, all the time and go back and make sure that I'm not missing anything. Because nothing that, that God puts in Scripture does he put in Scripture on accident. Mm -hmm. There is always something to learn in Scripture. Okay, so let's go to, um, in verse 9, this is after Jesus, had, um, after Jesus has gotten off the boat. The man comes running up to him, falls on his knees. Um, Jesus has told the spirit to leave. And Jesus says, then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. He introduces himself as one, but then announces that we are many. And this speaks to the unified nature of the diabolical infrastructure of the way the enemy works. So he, he says his name is Legion. Now, Legion is a, by definition, it's a Roman army. And usually it's, there's about 3,000 to 6,000 men in an, in an army, in a, in a legion. And they, they work together as a unit. Different levels of authority, different structures, different trainings, but they all work together as a unit with one goal, and that's victory. Huge army, multiple people, one goal, and that's victory in the Roman army. Very effective, very strategic. But I need, in order for me to really be able to break this down, I need for you guys to see just how much, it, how synchronized everything works. Okay, so I, I know the other one. Okay, so here we have Legion at the top. Now, for the sake of understanding, I'm going to break this down from the bottom up. There are these little groups, and I'm going to call them tent groups, little tent groups in this army. 
spread all over. So imagine there's up to three to 6,000 men in an army like this. So they're broken up in tent groups. There are probably about eight people in the tent. Spread all out. Now, each group groups together in about a group of 10. So each tent of eight gets together with a group of 10 tents, and they all answer to what is called a century. Now, there's a different level of authority there. So each of those centuries are comprised of 10 tent groups. You get what I'm saying? Well, the diagram would be too big for this room if I had to lay it all out. So this is a, a sample size of what we're working with. Well, each century then answers to a cohort. And the cohort is made up of six to ten centuries. So you have, now we've multiplied because, I can, like I said, I only put two. I'll put three there because for the space. And all of these make the region. So that, is that visual enough to kind of help you understand the structure? Now, each level has an authority that is responsible for everything that spawns from it. This is just how strategic this military works. Well, the enemy has a similar structure. This is how the man says, I am legion. We are many. We flow as one. We got, we got one agenda. And we are all working together for this one agenda. See, the reason that it's important for us to understand this as believers, as we walk in faith, is because if you continue to believe that you are dealing with one enemy, you will always be in a position to lose. Because what you don't know is the thing that you're facing is, has an, an army attached to it. So I know we're thinking, how in the world did this man have this infestation, to say, of spirits? It's because all it takes is the permission of one. Okay, so now let's, let's take this and bring it into um, the, how the scripture is using it. So I, now this one I just chose, and again, the screen is not big enough to be able to walk this out the way that this would go. So we have to take small sample sizes of each thing. So at the top, you have rejection. Now, I say that because most things come from normally two principles. It's either going to be traced back to rebellion or rejection in most cases. And from rejection, in most cases, you've dealt with rejection in your life, in your childhood, and somewhere there's been some form of abandonment, and you, you spawn from that is insecurity, bitterness. But then from the insecurities, there's this feeling of inadequacy and loneliness, um, self-pity, um, timidity. There's a lot of different things that will spend, come from that. Then from your inadequacy, there's spirit of jealousy and self-loathing and comparison. From the loneliness, withdrawal, longing, despair. From self-pity, delusion, depression, hopelessness. You're getting the flow? You're seeing how these things are all trickling down? Yes. Working in clumps, one agenda. But as long as we only choose to address and attack the spirit that gives us strife in the moment, the one that's given us the act out, we will only activate our authority in one place. We'll do things like I'm standing and I am speaking against and I am decreeing and I am warring against this spirit of anger. And the spirit of anger will have to respond to what I'm saying in the spirit. However, we never address the rebellion and the rejection and the, re the resentment that's attached to it and, and fueling it. 
But here, let me take you one step further. Let me tell you what nobody likes to hear. Is that you cannot partner with one and rebuke another. I can't entertain and engage my anger and then rebuke my resentment. I can't say, well, I got anger issues and just walk in that label and then want to war against the spirit of resentment and rebe- No. And let me take it one step further. You can't do it in your life and you can't do it in your children. You can't entertain and welcome and engage spirits in one lane and then come against them in your children. Oh, I'm, I'm saying too much. I'm saying too much. Because now that I've allowed my attitude to show out and I, I've tailored it with discipline, not with spirit, well, not in the spiritual, not with prayer, not with fasting, I haven't addressed it spiritually. I decided to discipline it. But now I have my child in school, and they're cutting up on levels that I swear that I can't recognize. But I didn't win the war in me. But I want to rebuke it in them. And never see that this whole tangled web is layered and deceptive and manipulating. But the enemy never wanted you to know or understand the whole structure because he needs to keep you pity-pat fighting here and there. Like I'm taking swings at things. And this is how you end up with no victory. Is because while I was able to win on this front when it comes to depression, I can't understand while I'm still battling loneliness. And for a minute, I feel victory in this area. And that's because I never had to address all of these other things. And spirits are so funny and so, um, I feel like they laugh at us more than we laugh at them. Is that if you're in a crowd full of people and I say, James, you have to go. The authority in me says you have to leave. James can get up and leave, but everybody else still gets to stay. Why? Because I didn't say you. I didn't shut you down. I say, well, Siri, you have to be quiet. Everything else can still talk and act up because I didn't know that you were there to tell you that you have to stop and you have to stop and you have to go and you have to stop. And we wonder why this chaos just continues to go because we're winning victory by victory, victory by victory, not aware that there's so much more to fight. My God. What am I supposed to say? <laughs> Go to the point. <laughs> what am I supposed to say? <laughs> you make me want to deal with that so bad. I said this whole, this verse alone could be a series in itself. Just the breakdown. I want you to take note before we shove to the next space that when this man is, is, well, this thing in this man is questioned, and he says, my name is Legion, and we are many. When he responds to Jesus, and Jesus finds out that there is some complexity and layers to what this man is dealing with, Jesus does not flinch. Hmm. He, is, he is not caught off guard. He, he, is, he, he doesn't have to go reconvene when he hears about the complexities of what's happening inside of this man. Mm -hmm. And what you have to understand 
is that you may feel like this situation for you is overwhelming and you're tired of this fight every single day. But if you, un if you can get yourself before Jesus, the one who can do and will do anything, it will not be, he will not be moved by it. He will make sure that it moves. Mm -hmm. Jesus doesn't bat an eye when he says that I got all kind of stuff happening up in here. Mm. And the reason why Jesus is not moved by it, because he came for that. God. Oh, gosh, if you if you think about this for a second, That's Jesus good. gets on a boat. He fights the winds mm. and the waves. He steps off onto the shore and he addresses this thing and gets back on the boat. He showed up for these type That's of situations. Good. This is my arena. This is what I do. Mm -hmm. So if you invite Jesus into your life, if he shows up on your, in your region, if he steps off on your land, then guess what? Jesus, do what you can do yes. because I can't do anything about this. Jesus is not moved by all of that. Okay. Let's push to verse 6. When Jesus saw Excuse me. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Mm -hmm. In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus has said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Uh, this might be the only thing I want you to write down today. And it is this phrase or this word, commanding word. Shout commanding. Commanding. Word. Word. Now, that was a very um, detailed diagram of what is to be true about what happens in the spirit realm. And there are a lot of names in that diagram that one would have to call out. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I don't want you to think that the remedy to overcoming the things that you war against is putting a name to it. Hmm. That is not the remedy. Mm -hmm. It is a step, but it is not a remedy. Mm -hmm. There has been this, uh, this thing trending lately with people is, is that we, we, we will hear something and we will say, Oh, that's what I got. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I, I, I battle depression. I battle anxiety. I'm, you know, I'm bipolar. We, you know, people don't even understand where these things have come from. But all of a sudden, you're able to put a name to something. And guess what you've just done because you don't have the power to do anything about it. You just gave it power mm -hmm. over you. Mm -hmm. I want you to understand specifically when it comes to this is that God reveals to us very early on in Scripture, specifically in the book of Genesis, how we overcome the things that we war against. Very early in scripture. Now, if you go to, to Genesis chapter 1, I don't want you to go there, but I'm just going to talk to it for a second. A few weeks ago, we discussed how Satan uh, was once an angel, uh, and because of his pride and his desire to take God's glory for himself, um, he was able to convince a third of the angels, and him and the third of those angels were banned from heaven. They were banned to th this place that we now know as earth. When we meet Jesus, or excuse me, when we meet God um, speaking in the book of Genesis, he shows up to an earth that is full of void, that is full of darkness, and it is being dominated by Satan and his demons. Mm -hmm. They call that, they, if you look at it from a theological perspective, it is called the pre-Adamite world. 
So when we meet God in Genesis chapter 1, the world that he is speaking to is a fallen world. This is before man gets here, and Satan and his, and, and his demons are here, and, 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 and he, he shows up and he says that it is full of void and it is full of darkness, and then what he does in that text is that he begins to speak to the darkness. Yes. He shows up and he says, let there be light, and then the next thing says, and there was light. He speaks to the darkness. There was commanding word that he spoke into darkness. Okay, let's get caught up in this text. Jesus fights the winds and the waves, and he goes to a region where, 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 where God is not revered. He goes to a region where there is satanic worship happening in that place, and, and Satan has dominated that area. Out comes the man who was the welcoming party for this region, and he comes up to Jesus, and before this man says a word, Jesus says, come out of him, you impure spirit. But before he even gets out of the boat fresh, he is already commanding the things that yes. has dominated that area. Yes. Mm. Listen to me. You have to make sure that you position yourself and everything that's de- that you're dealing with close to the word of God. Mm. It speaks to those dark places. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, can I say this? Yeah. You won't get mad at me. When you show up to church on Sunday morning, mm. you should leave here a little bit agitated. Mm. If you show up to the right church, if you show up to church that's preaching Jesus, <laughs> because the words that are spoken out of this book right here, those 66 books, are God-breathed, and it speaks to dark areas. Jesus. So when you're sitting in church on a Sunday morning, you should feel like he's coming down my road. He's talking about my business. Yeah. Why? Because this word speaks to dark areas. And then when it speaks, oh gosh, y'all, when it speaks, the lights come on. And then when the lights come on, I didn't know you were there. Mm. Mm. I didn't know you were sitting over there. It takes a commanding word, not naming it. That is a step, but it takes a commanding word to be delivered from the things that you war against. If you look at the text closely. We, we, what takes center stage is this, this, this the, the demonic man running up to Jesus and shouting at the top of his voice. But you know why he did that? Because he heard Jesus, the word made flesh, speaking to him. Mm. He said, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Mm. And if you just name it without having a commanding word, God. you give it authority. Mm. So listen, if, if, if you come up in here on a Sunday morning and, and, and you don't feel inspired and all those different things, I'm fine with that. As long as I challenged you and I made you feel a little bit uncomfortable about where you are. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I don't care if you like me. I'm sitting here for one purpose and one purpose only. And that's, it's to teach the truth. Somebody told me a long time ago, someone's other truth hurts. There should be a little mm-hmm. bit, I'm telling you now, I'm, 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 if, you're not, if you don't go to this church and you're just sitting here visiting, there should be a little agitation on a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. You should be a little uncomfortable on a Sunday morning. Because there is a commanding word that comes from God that is directed toward those dark areas in your life. He can't help but speak to it. Oh my God, he can't help but to deal with it. You know, I want to make sure we say, go back, 
because I think that the enemy works really hard to keep us in a position of enlightenment. And I don't want to go past, I don't want to rush over that. I need you to let that sit. Just knowing it and naming it, I think is where a lot of us live. We find out, oh, that was good. That was a good word. And we can identify it. Yes, that was good. But there is another step. You have got to speak to it. Don't let that just come and go. Don't be entertained by what you just, just heard. There is an action on your part. You receive the information, but there is an action on your part. And the enemy likes to have, let us be entertained by a word, that we are enlightened. We learn something. Learning something without doing something is borderline useless. Amen? So going back to the text, um, there's a part in the scripture that has always been interesting to me, and we had a discussion about it the other day, and it's when the people start pleading, when they come in and they, they come back to the, the, scene of, the scene of the incident, and they see um, the man who they have known to be, you know, possessed by demons sitting at the feet of Jesus, dressed and clothed and, you know, put together, and their response to seeing that is, Jesus, please leave. That part has always been a thing that's like those two things don't connect to me. But when you really sit and look in the scripture, you recognize that the script of them asking him to leave is along the same line as the script that the demon said when Jesus came. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. Don't bother me. Go, 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 go. Don't bother me. Don't bother me. Don't torture us. Why are you here? Because it wasn't necessarily a request of the heart of the people. There was a request of the spirit in the region. That goes to show just how powerful this spirit was in this region. That it spoke on the behalf of the entire area saying, we need you to leave. So then I go, it makes me think about um, in Mark, in Mark chapter 1. You don't have to go to it, but you can read it in your your leisure. Um, Jesus is going around collecting his crew. He goes to Peter and he tells them, tells him, leave what you're doing. Leave where you're at. Come follow me. He goes to James. He goes to John. Leave where you are. Come follow me. But then in this incident in scripture, the man who's just been delivered by Jesus says, I want to follow you. Can I go? And he says, no, you need to stay. And when you put the, the two together, it points to such a powerful point in ministry that we, met, we need to make sure that we absorb. Because the man was then, he had authority over the spirit that was in that region because he overcame it. And here Jesus' instruction. He told him, you stay because you need to go tell everybody what I did. Tell them about the goodness. of Tell them about the mercy. What was he telling him? He was giving them the instruction that we read later in Revelations chapter 12, verse 11, where it says, and they, overca- and they were overcame, being the enemy, was overcome by the blood of the lamb, and the word of the testimony. He wasn't telling you just go inform them. No, no. What he was saying was you go wage war. He was giving battle instruction because you now are armed with a testimony, a testimony that was compared in scripture right next to the blood of the lamb, the most powerful substance of all creation partnered with the testimony overcame the enemy. So by him telling him you can't go with me, it's because you got to stay here because it's warfare that you got to do right here. There's victory in your testimony. You are living proof. Because, see, people can argue and they can debate when it comes to Scripture and they can try to speak away his existence and his miracle, but you can't do nothing about living proof. When I'm standing in your face saying, looking like freedom, especially when you knew where I was, you can't debate with me what he's done. So then that lets us know as believers that this is a twofold walk we're doing. 
Because, yes, there are times where we have to sit under Jesus. When he told them, leave what you're doing, come and follow me, that you're going to have to sit in his presence, and you're going to have to learn his nature, and you need to follow him around and see how he does things and see how he thinks and glean from him in every experience and every moment. Because there is a time for discipleship, but there is also a time for warfare. And you have to be able to be equipped to operate in both of them. And you are armed with your testimony. This is why the enemy makes us either so ashamed or unconfident in our testimony. Because he knows that our testimony ranks up there at the power with the blood of Jesus. They're side by side in this recipe. He brought together something so profound that he can't say and do anything against. That's why your testimony is so under attack. Because I proclaim Jesus, but if I can get you to show out and get you to cuss, yes, that, custom, that, that, that whole testimony thing is shot. If I can, if you can prevent, if you can get in front of people and profess deliverance and wholeness and freedom and joy and light, but if I can just poke that thing to get you to act up, then that whole testimony thing is shot. It's a weapon. It's warfare. You're sitting with a loaded gun of the many works that God has done. And it has the power to deliver, not just impress. It has the power to bring freedom not just entertain. There is a reason that you have to get in front of people and open your mouth and say, this is where I was, but this is who I am. That I serve a God that can set free. That I can stand before you and look like victory over depression. That I can stand before you and look like victory over infirmity. And you can't argue with me because I'm living proof of what it is. I fear that some of us sit on one of the most powerful weapons, and some of it is because we don't want to be committed to the upkeep of our testimony. We don't want to have to fight for our story. Because if I tell you how good he's been, now I'm held accountable to walking in it in front of you, and I don't want that pressure. Please understand that that's a strategic plan, and any time you fall into agreement with that, you've now lined up with the enemy's agenda, and you are doing exactly what he planned for you to do. That if I tell you that I changed, every time I'm around you, I got to be changed. If I tell you that I'm free, then when you see me flirting with stuff that's going to buy me up, you're going to pull my card. There is a level of not just spiritual maturity, but natural maturity. When you get to a place where you say, you know what, God, it doesn't matter what it takes. This is what I want. I want you to clean me and free me and heal me for real. Not just for me, but because there are other people who need to be free too. And once I walk in this testimony, I have the authority to stand on top of things that people have drowned under. And I can be a rescue. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Would you stand to your feet? Thank you for streaming the latest message from Truth Movement Church. We pray that you found something in God's word that you can deposit into your heart for future use. To stay connected with our ministry, like us on Facebook or Instagram, or learn more about us by visiting www.truthmovementchurch.org.